Hey, welcome back to another episode of How the Was That a Hit? And I'm here, David Quintana. I'm kind of the cultural guy, and I'm here with the real live musician, Tim Foster. Um, and I want to thank everybody for you know watching our episodes. We really appreciate all of the views that we've been getting. It really means a lot to us to show that um, what we're doing is uh, people find it interesting. And also the song requests that people have been making. Um, again, if you have song requests, please leave them uh, in the in the um, in the comments. We're looking at all of those. Some of them, some of them, just to clarify, haven't been hits. Um, <laughs> Come on, what's so, uh, well, someone has asked like for Psycho Killer. Psycho Killer. the song Psycho Killer. If anyone knows, like, you know, I would have had a tattoo a of David Byrne on my back. College radio hit. Yeah, but it it wasn't really a hit. Maybe we should do something else like what makes that a great song. Yeah, like right? Goo Goo Muck by The Cramps, which suddenly people know after like never really? knowing, you know, because it was yeah. in that TV show. Yeah. That but Adam's I, family spinoff. So uh, we're going to go back to March 1984. And what was going on in March 1984? The number one movie was Footloose. Uh, number one TV shows were Dynasty and Dallas. So it was kind of the big hair, big shoulder pad era. Yeah. Um, the USSR, which was how we referred to them back then. You call them Russia. The USSR boycotted the Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. Um, and that's because the USA had boycotted the USSR Olymp Olympics in 1980. Uh, Reagan uh, won 49 of 50 states to defeat Mondale uh, in the presidential. And I don't think that will ever happen again. I think we are. We'll, I don't think we'll ever see. A, I mean, yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know if we'll ever see a president get 49 of 50 states again. And politics are just so different now. Yeah. Um, and crack first showed up in the streets of L.A. Really? Mm-hmm. 1984. But let's not dwell on crack, Tim. Let's talk about our song. Nine Luft Balloons, or actually, I know you pronounce it Luft Balloons, but yeah. I'm going to say Luft Balloons, okay? Um, by Nana. By Nana, that's right. And Nana was the name of the band. Yep. Um, the name of the singer was, oh gosh, what was her name? It was Nana. Uh, no, Gabrielle Suzanne Kerner. But she went, I think her, her nickname. Well, yeah, her was nickname Nana. was Nana. Yeah, so and so they, they named the after the lead singer. That's right. So Gabrielle uh, Suzanne Kerner uh, was the lead singer. Um did a good job, right? They had yep. been bopping around for a while in Germany. They had some minor hits in Germany. Um, but in 1983, they came out with this hit, 99 Luftballons. But before we talk about the song and why, how how the f*** that was a hit, because it was an entirely in German. The song was entirely in German. Yeah, and right? it was big. For those of you who are younger and don't remember this, it was a big international hit. Big international hit. Yeah. Um, and it went to number two in the U.S., all in German, right? Um, the U. Actually, they did do an English version of this song, and it didn't even chart. Because yeah. people like the the. Uh, but we're going to talk about why. But the context for the song, you got to. 
the world, the global context is very, very important. It's hard to, as hard as it may be to believe, there are many people under the age of 40 who really don't know what we're talking about right yeah. now um, or aren't as familiar with it as we are. But Germany at that time was divided into, as Tim said, between East Germany, which was allied with the Soviets, and West Germany, which was allied with the U.S. and, and the rest of Europe uh, and the rest of Western Europe. There was actually a wall, right? There was – there wasn't entirely a wall across all of Germany, but through Berlin there was a wall. And yeah. that was a wall that came up at the end of World War II, and it was a literal brick cement wall with a no man's land in between. Um, and then for the rest of Germany, there was you know high fences with barbed wire, et cetera, and they were manned. Like people were killed on the reg who were trying to go from what East Germany into West Germany. Very few were trying to go from West Germany to East Germany. Yeah. So, um, so that's kind of the context. And Nina, they were from West Germany, right? And you have to imagine if the U.S. were divided in two and how you know how the, all the. It's hard to imagine right now, David. Yeah. <laughs> Physically, Actually, if yeah. it were physically divided into. Yeah. Um, but the difference, uh, I'm sorry, a good analogy would be North Korea and South Korea today. Yes, exactly. So East Germany was North Korea and West Germany was South Korea. And yeah. on one side you had, you know, mercantilism and a free economy. And, and on the other side you had like pretty much the Dark Ages. And that's what East Germany was like, man. Yeah. It's pretty hard for people to understand that wasn't that long ago. No. And it was interesting, you know, I was there – uh, I guess it's about 20 years ago, they, the, the former East Germany. And it was weird. There were still buildings that had bullet holes from World War II because they'd never been fixed. Mm. Even even 20 years after the wall came down, uh, it, they were still far behind what you would see in the other parts of Germany. But anyway, we're digressing. Yeah. But this, uh, every European person, Western person, I'm sure uh, Russian person was well aware of all this at the time. And it it really was a different world where you really thought nuclear destruction you did. could come at any moment. Totally did. Yeah. And and certainly that informed the music of that time and that it very much informed this song. In fact, one of the biggest television um, they had things called television specials back then because we only had like three channels yeah. plus a couple of independents um, in your area. But one of the biggest shows of all time during that period was a show called uh, – I think it was a miniseries or an, an event called the, the The Day After. Yeah. And that was about what happens the day after the nuclear holocaust. This was something we lived with every day in the 80s like you did. I mean you didn't go around thinking about it but, you know, it's in the back of your head. So – so the Berlin Wall came down um, in 1989, and that's because the Soviet Union began to collapse. And it all happened very, very, very fast yeah. um, when it did. But in 1983 and 1984, that was the height because at that point in 83 and 84, the Soviet Union began feeling, right, the pushback. And they knew that, okay, we got to really keep a, a grasp on these people, kind of like um, – Russia now, right? Yeah. With he's really, you know, Putin really has to hold tight to keep it all together. And in 83 and 84, the Soviet Union was going through the same pangs. Um, and so you can imagine what it was like to be in West Germany at that time. We in the United States were feeling it, but West Germany was. And so that that is the cauldron in which right this song was brewed that is that is the world in which 99 luft balloons came about i know that was a long way but in order to understand the song you got to understand that period because when we talk about how the f was that a hit it was a hit because it is kind of a child of its time yeah. 
it spoke to the fear and the the tensions that I think informed everyone, everyone that was even a moderately aware of what was going on in world politics. Yeah, there's this was absolutely a huge part of what made this song resonate with people all around the world. So in 19, I guess it was 1982, Carlos Cargas and Carlo, or I'm sorry, Carlo uh, Cargas went to a Rolling Stones concert in Berlin, in West Berlin. And um, at the end of the concert, at the end of the West of the Rolling Stones concert, they let balloons go. And Carlo was Those in the crazy crowd. rock and rollers. <laughs> yeah, they let balloons go. What a simpler time we had. Yeah. Then. And they let balloons go. And then he was watching and he saw one of the balloons travel over the Berlin Wall. And in his mind, he was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if like what would happen if they thought that that was like a missile. Yeah. And they started firing. And a nuclear war started because a balloon went over the Berlin Wall but yet the people on the other side thought it was a missile or a plane. And that was the genesis for this song. Um, out of that song, so Carlo went ahead and, and he wrote the lyrics in, in 82, but he carried them around for a while, right? And then the other guy, um, God, I can never, Uwe, I cannot pronounce his middle name, Uwe F something yeah. Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> so he was he was the or he was the uh, keyboardist and he wrote the music, and um, that became the song that they went ahead and recorded in 1983. So the story uh, behind the lyrics. Did you want to talk about this? Or you want me to? No, I mean uh, the lyrics were uh, basically what you just described. That there was this balloon had gone up. It mm-hmm. was it was uh, it was mistaken for a missile, and there was back and forth about. What to do, and ultimately it, ended yeah, up, you know, starting starting a nuclear war. Yeah, they they add like a little ego to it, right? So they add a little uh, the the balloons let go, and then you know the uh, the military general officer sends pilots up because they they see the balloons on the radar, and so they send these fighter pilots up, and and you can hear it in the in the in the lyrics. I mean, I think fighter pilots kind of comes across in English like it does in German. Yeah. And, um, and the fighter pilots go up there and they see that, oh, these are just balloons, right? But because they're soldiers and they're men of war, right, they want to show, like, F these balloons. We're going to show these balloons because we've got missiles, so we got to do something to them. And so they start exploding the balloons with their big missiles, right? Right. And then the, all of that firepower is picked up on the other country's radars, and then those other countries are like, oh, well, we're under attack. Little do they know that it's the, you know, the fighter pilots who are just shooting at balloons. And so they all start releasing their nuclear missiles right. at the other countries because they think they're all under attack. And it brings about the nuclear holocaust that you and I always feared when we were growing up in the 80s. And um, the end of the song, it has um, – you know, the person just kind of walking through and saying 99 of your of uh, war left no room for winners. Yeah. And it's so it is a very, very straightforward kind of protest song. Yeah. Right. Um, and about, you know, the what happens when the egos of these generals and these soldiers, you know, take place over, you know, what the, the peace and, you know, the minds of the people. So right. 
I don't think that – I don't know if everybody knew that, though, when it was being played on MTV. No, and I think, you know, if you're not German, you don't know it. And I think that that's one of the things that really played into this becoming a hit in the U.S. and the rest of the world is that you knew it was a protest song because it was pitched as a protest song. Mm-hmm. But because it was in German, you really didn't know what it was about specifically. You just knew that it was like sort of vaguely anti-nuclear war – and so I think that helped. You know, I think that you could read your own meaning into it because it was in another language. Right. So I think that was one of the things. But, you know, how it got there in the first place uh, is kind of an interesting thing because as a general rule, in the mid-'80s, America was not terrifically open to other language, culture in another language. That was not really that popular. It was not something that we were, you know, there weren't a lot of hit TV shows in other languages or, or hit uh, – radio hits or anything like that. This was very, very unusual at the time. So to show you how unusual for the time it was, 1984 is a very specific year in rock history. It's actually known as the year of the pop song, the golden year of pop. Because if you look at the song, so 99 Luftballons was number two. The number one song was Jump. Um, The song, and then after that, the three, four, five, six, seven were Girls Just Want to Have Fun, Thriller, um, Nobody Told Me by John Lennon, Karma Chameleon by Culture Club, and uh, Somebody's Watching Me by Rockwell. So those are all as poppy as you could get, man. Yeah. And those are all like, girls just want to have fun, Karma Chameleon, woohoo, jump, right? Everything is like exactly. fun, let's have fun. There's, I know I hear rumors of a nuclear war, but let's have fun. Yeah. It, the, it is as poppy it was as poppy of a pop year as you could get in 1984. Yeah. P- pretty much our whole canon of popular pop songs like can be traced to 1984. But here's a song about the world, right? So if you listen to the song, it starts out as sort of a almost a folk thing. And then it goes into sort of like almost like a dance club hit, like a new wavy thing, very synthesizer driven. you know, keyboard driven. And then they go to the next part of the song and it's all of a sudden it's much faster. And it's a rock song. It's jug, 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 you know, just the guitar chugging away. And that's the Ramones. very different from the other part of the song. And they kind of go back and forth several times, which is really unique to have that much of a tempo shift in a song that became a huge hit and, and a style shift. Because if you took just that one piece of, you either took the rock piece where they're chugging along on the guitars mm-hmm. and it's kind of fast and they're, they're talking about 99 red balloons and you, you could almost make that into a different song and then the other part that's very much more keyboard driven, that sounds like a club pop club hit. It really does. That is uh, honestly, cause, so I've listened to um, the keyboards taken separately. Oh, uh, okay. I, I've listened to them taken out and just played by themselves. That is a funky, funky keyboard. Um, that guy was really, so you've got, you're right, you got the guitars of, if you know, the whole new wave uh, era. Oh, I don't think it was really new wave. It, it was, was punk. Well, it was. I mean, the Ramones were the ones who really started as far as like 
kind of broader acceptance that chug, 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 mm-hmm. you know, he's just pounding away on the guitar. And this has definitely like got that feel and, you know, that informed punk and informed mm-hmm. new wave. Uh, but they were doing that. And it, it was very much uh, more aggressive than the rest of the song. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a weird, in a weird way, the conflict in the music maybe mirrored the conflict in the story of the song. Of course, mm-hmm. in America, no one really knew the story of the song because no one speaks German in America. Or sorry, sorry, German speakers. Very few of you speak German. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it's an interesting thing. And I think it was, uh, it played a huge role in why this was a hit because normally if you do that, usually if you have two different tempos and two different types of song that are kind of put together. Famously, John Lennon and Paul McCartney would do this a lot. They'd work on two separate songs. They'd get together and they would say, hey, these actually fit together and stitch them together. But it was way more seamless. Mm-hmm. So it didn't seem like two different songs, usually. This, it's not seamless. It really does seem like two different songs. But I think probably because of the strangeness of the fact that it was in another language, it worked. And it, for whatever reason, it worked when most of the time, most of the hits you hear do not do this. Mm-hmm. So it was very unique at the time. Well, um, the, the, like I said, the keyboards were super funky. Yeah. If you separate the keyboards out and just listen to them, that guy, Uwe F. Name Peterson, yeah. he did an amazing job of writing the keyboards on that. They were awesome. They are awesome. If you get a chance to hear them separate, they're cool. And I've also heard it on an acoustic piano, just a regular piano. Interesting. And the melody is great. I mean, once you separate the melody from all the drama of the instrumentation, it's a really, really good melody. So I think people were sucked in by the melody, even though they might not have known it. Yeah. Um, further, I remember how people reacted to this song because, you know, I was a young guy at that time and you'd be around people, especially young women. And I think that the arrangement of the song, as you're saying, the change of tempo made it kind of a fun song. So say you were like at a house party and there were were like four or five girls, you know, in the middle of the room, just like, you know, drinking their whatever red. They didn't have red solo cups then, but Dixie cups. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the song would come on. Right. And it's interesting because I can remember this. They would like the beginning because the beginning is kind of dirge-like. Yeah. You know, she's just singing very low, and they would do their little sway back and forth. And then when the boom, boom, boom kicks in, right, they would just do their, like, shaking head yeah. like people did in that era. Head banging, yeah. Yeah, and they would do the whole thing, and then they would slow down again, and then they would do the head. So I think it was kind of a fun song for yeah. people to listen to because of that change in tempo. Yeah, I think— you know, I mean, well, and we hear that a lot in music today where you have dance music mm-hmm. and they have that, I don't, you know, I, I hate to say I don't really know the terminology, but you'll hear it and there's a drop like uh, Gangnam Style does this. Like, yeah, 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 the drop. Drop, where it's like the drop and yeah. then all of a sudden the, the people dancing go crazy, right. you know, and it's, it's kind of like that. Similar, like mm-hmm. a more restrained version of that, yeah. So by the way, the, you know, Nina was in a there, – there was a lot of people in Germany at that time. German, Germany actually had a little bit of a renaissance in music during the mm-hmm. um, late 70s to mid 80s and, yeah. because they had Falco. So Falco had had a number one song two years after uh, Nina did with Rock Me Amadeus, oh, yeah, which yeah. again was all in German. Um, a great song. There were groups that were – I mean a lot of them have this whole – they were very techno-driven. And I think yeah. we still see that in European music today, but a lot of that came out of that late 70s to mid 80s Germany craft work. Craft, yeah, huge. Well ahead influence. of their time. And in a fact, huge influence on uh, like 
musicians, like especially mm-hmm. new wave, new wave and new age musicians. And then on hip hop, strangely enough, it was like they were strangely popular among certain hip hop. Planet Rock by Africa Bombata, which is one of the seminal, you know, rap pieces in, you know, in, in music history. That was a that was him stitching together to Kraftwerk songs uh, for the music. So yeah, I mean everybody sampled of Kraftwerk at that time in, in the hip hop world. Um, pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah, and it's like not you know not what you would expect, but it's kind of cool to see that history. But there was a very very uh, a thriving scene in Germany for like new wave music, mm-hmm. you know, uh, keyboard driven, synthesizer driven. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of strange to our ears, strange music. But over there, it was like it was we, very popular. We were talking about a, a it wasn't a big hit here in the United States, but people would know it called uh, Da 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 by Trio. Right, right. and they, some people may know it because it was in a. a Volkswagen ad. Yes, that's right. That's how it got more famous. Yeah. Correct. Um, So, yeah. So, anyway, there was a lot of, of, you know, a lot of people say that bad times really create good art. And I think that's kind of what was going on in Germany at that time. Well, hey, rock and roll, you know, really came to the fore in the mid-50s. And, I mean, we were. We were acutely aware of nuclear war. You know, we had just we had just dropped a bu- two bombs on Japan, and Russia had gotten the nuclear bomb, and we were fighting a war in Korea. So, right then, the world was as tense as it had been since the end of World War II. And guess what pops up? Little Richard. <laughs> you know, so I think it was. You know, there is uh, you know the stressful times do kind of. Bring, bring yeah. interesting art out. There's actually a great speech by Orson Welles in the movie The Third Man just about this. Oh, yeah. Well, what the fellow said, in Italy for 30 years under the Borgias, they had warfare, terror, murder, bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. We've talked about the origins of the song, but let's talk about how it became a hit because it had the most unlikely path that you will see to become a hit. One of the most, because we've talked about a number of unlikely paths. So the German label did not want to release it in the U.S. It had been a big hit in Germany. I think it was number one in Germany the year before in 1983. But they didn't want to release it in the U.S. So there is a huge – there is still, but it's very different. There, and we've talked about this before, Tim, the power that ra- that radio DJs had um, at that time. And it was probably waning in the early 80s. I mean, it's still powerful, but – I don't know. I mean, 80s – I would say the 80s radio DJs mm-hmm. were still huge. I mean, we, I'd say they probably started to wane later 80s, early 90s. Okay. Uh, but, but KROQ yeah. in, in LA was a big station. Um, and they had a guy by the name of Rodney Bingenheimer. And Rodney Bingenheimer had been on um, and on K Rock, I think since 1970, 1976. Yeah. Um, he'd been on there since 1976. He had broken bands like the Bengals. He'd broken Blondie. He had broken. Um, oh God, I for, shoot Van Halen. He gave Duran Duran their first U.S. airplay. But he had freedom over his playlist. Right. If he heard stuff, if people send him cassettes, right. He had the freedom to go ahead and say, "Yeah, that sounds good. I'll I'll try this." Rodney had a lot of, a lot of other issues, by the way. But <laughs> yeah, and I think people came to his show expecting to hear the new thing. Yeah, they did not come to his show to hear 
like what everyone else was playing. They wanted yeah. to hear the new stuff. They wanted to, they wanted to be ahead of their friends and be the first one to hear the cool stuff. And Rodney Bigenheimer had a, a reputation at that time for the guy that would know that stuff. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, in uh, in 1984, in the beginning of 84, he uh, Rodney had a German actress musician by the name of Christian Felschernau in the studio, and she was there to plug a movie um, and talk about music, right? And so Rodney had her in the studio, and and people were calling in, right, on K Rock and saying, "Hey, you know, questions for her, blah blah blah," right? So someone asked her, "Hey, what music do you listen to?" And she had brought a cassette tape of her boyfriend's band. So her, what she wanted to do, and she had it all ready, and she gave it to Rodney's uh, engineer and said, hey, play this, right? And it was her boyfriend's band's song. Well, the engineer probably wasn't paying attention, and he heard 99 Luft Balloons, and he thought that was the song. So when somebody asked, hey, what kind of music do you listen to? She was ready for it, right? Yeah. Because I think she probably wanted to plug her boyfriend's stuff yeah, I anyway. Saying, I want to know what, yeah. personally, I want to know what her boyfriend's band was. Yeah. And so when they asked her, she said, oh, funny you ask. I got it. And, and you know, Rodney and the engineer put it on, and it was 99 Luft Balloons. And um, I think caught her by surprise, but it's live radio. Right. So you can't change it. So the song went out, and... Mm-hmm. As is always the case, as it's often the case in these stories, the phone line started lighting up and people are like, what is that song? Who is that? What is that song? And Rodney liked it. And Rodney was like, oh, okay, people like this and I like it. So he began to put it on his playlist. Hmm. And uh, like a foot fungus in a uh, locker room, that thing spread, right? Went across the US and all the other radio stations started picking it up. And um, before you know it, it hit number two in the United States all because she, she put the wrong, the engineer put the wrong song uh, on play. Wow, and her boyfriend broke up with her right after. Like, I would have been <laughs> yeah. number two in I the U.S. Number two, had you man. played the right tape. I don't know if his song was as good. Yeah, maybe no. Um, but Rodney was fired in 2000. He wasn't fired. They had a change of direction. Yeah. And, you know, because corporations wanted to run the yeah, playlist. Of course. So in 2017. I mean, I believe, no, is there any... Are there any major stations that even have a live DJ that has a choice over their own playlist anymore, like on the radio versus on digital radio? I don't know, man. I don't. I can't imagine. Doubt it, unless it's a college radio station, right? Yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's. But I'm saying like major. Yeah, I, I think that I mm-hmm. think that ship sailed. You know what? I was up in a place called Arcada, mm-hmm. and there's a little AM radio station I was listening to there. The playlist sounded like that DJ might have had oh, control oh, in that little a town. Smaller, like KDVS is a real uh-huh. local college station. They definitely play whatever they want. And they're KVMR, or Nevada City. Like, they're certainly but like no smaller. Majors. Yeah, no I don't think there's stations. any, like, I don't think anybody in San Francisco, mm-hmm. you know, with that's going out to like two and a half million listeners. It's just like, I just feel like playing this random German cassette tape. You know, I don't think that's happening anymore. So I've often wondered if Nana sent royalties to Christian Felscher now. <laughs> um, it's kind of like we talked with the Beastie Boys, how the guy from Hazy Fantasy used their oh yeah yeah used that song off of and they got all the money yeah and they got yeah that's pretty interesting. Um, all right, so after that, it went to number two in the U.S., but it went to number one in Austria, Belgium, Japan, Netherlands, New Zealand, Sweden, Switzerland, Australia. I mean, the thing was just a worldwide global hit. When you know one thing we should talk about is everything in the music world at this point in time, 83, 84, 
was video driven. I mean, mm-hmm. MTV was huge and they had a good video for this and they were a good looking band. Mm-hmm. I mean, of, you know, if you were mm-hmm. into the Northern European thing. And she was harmlessly attractive. Yeah. She, she was, was attractive enough, but not one that your girlfriend would get mad at you about. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And it's funny, you know, I was watching him and I thought, God, you know, you could almost take, if you took her out of the band, you could almost think like, Oh, is this you too? You know, they have mm-hmm. a good big bushy kind of mullety haircuts, mm-hmm. uh, you know, stripy clothes. Um, you know, so they were conventionally attractive. They uh, they had an interesting video with her walking around mm-hmm. and like nuclear. The video, the, the video back. was very dramatic. Yeah, and so that 1983-84, if you had a crummy video, odds were pretty good. Your record was not going to be number two or anywhere mm-hmm. near it because videos right. drove so much of of what was happening on the radio. Yeah, yeah, they, and they had a good video, and it was at that right time. Every song that we talked about earlier. Um, when I said this was the year of the yeah. poppiest of pop, every one of those songs, except the John Lennon, yeah. had an amazing video yeah. um, that was in constant air, a constant rotation on MTV at that time. Yeah, it is hard to to explain to people who aren't from that era how much of a force MTV was in driving the hits at that time. Yeah. Just it really is. Yeah, it's hard. Well, it's, it's imagine that if if uh, you know your YouTube channel, like if YouTube, if you only had access to like fifty videos. Like, that's all you could watch. Well, guess yeah. what? Those 50 videos would get a lot of views. And yeah. that's kind of what it was like with MTV. I mean, they probably played more than 50 videos a week, but probably yeah. not met that many more than that. So we in the U- U.S. know Nina as a one-hit wonder, right, with this. But in all, all honesty, Nina, the female singer, Nina uh, Gabrielle Suzanne Kerner, right. was not. Uh, Nina, the band, kind of had a couple of hits in Germany, but they yeah. kind of faded after a couple of years. But Nina is like bigger than ever, even right now at the age of 65 in Germany and yeah. parts of Europe. She is touring huge shows. I was thinking she's kind of like the share of Yeah, uh, of she really Germany. is. She yeah. is going strong. And by the way, she aged very well. Yeah. I've seen interviews with her. She looks great. Um, but she is still a really, really big thing in um, in Germany especially, but yeah. in kind of all those Germany-adjacent countries. You know, yeah. she's, she's carved out a really, really good career. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, and of course that song had a revival because we had the Chinese balloon thing that happened here in the United States uh, recently. And of course people love to talk about that stuff, so they're like tagging, and all of a sudden that that song kind of came out of nowhere. What's funny is we'd already talked about doing this song long ago, but never yeah. got around to it. But, uh, but yeah, all of a sudden that song sort of has reemerged in American cultural consciousness because of, because of this Chinese balloon. Thing. It did. So that brought it kind of to the trending. But, you know, it's always there. Yeah. And I wonder why. Like, it's one of those songs that has just survived. Uh, but I think it's because it was so unusual. First off, just because it was uh, in German. Um, By the way, it, I would have it no other way because the American version pales yeah, in comparison to true. the German. But I think that it, you really remember it and it signifies a time. In a way, there's another re- much older song called Sukiyaki which was a hit in America mm-hmm. 60-something 60, 60 years ago. And it was in Japanese. And that was extraordinarily unusual. Mm-hmm. And it's you'll see it in movies or, you know, you'll experience when people are trying to, like, evoke that time because it's a very specific thing. And I think it stands out more than other songs that mm-hmm. were maybe just more sort of generic sounding. They're like, oh, that's the 60s or that's – you know, mm-hmm. the 70s or the 80s. This is really specific, like the, you know, pre-Berlin Wall 
German, like early eighties era. It really mm-hmm. is. So that kind of makes some sense to me that it would, it would be used when you want to kind of evoke that mm-hmm. period. I also think that the instrumentation of it, especially that middle portion, I think that has helped it hold up for a while. Um, I know some people don't like it. I think it does because I think there is a large group of people who really like that type of in, that techno, that you know what we call new wave and looking back at it that that era. I think there's a lot of people that just really hold on to that and they like that type of music. But that those those keyboards are really good. I, I think the keyboards have yeah. Well, they're it's definitely of its time. I mean that song. I mean most of the songs on the. Charts really are mm-hmm. of their time. That's why they're on the charts because mm-hmm. they capture that moment. Uh, but this one really, really is. And, you know, I remember it. I was in high school when that hit. And, you know, it was just everywhere. And for a song in German, uh, you know, I didn't have MTV, but I was still well aware of this song. So it was, it was an interesting thing. And, you know, we always talk about, could this be a hit? Would, you know, should it have been a hit? And would it have been a hit? And it's funny that I think musically, no, it would not be a hit today. But the idea of Americans embracing a foreign song, mm-hmm. that is much more likely today. I think so, too. So to, to should it, would it be a hit today if you just answered it? Would it? I think you're saying. I think that particular song, no. But I think a similar type of thing. That where you have a kind of a strange song mm-hmm. that like has this novelty of having this sort of the two tempos and the two mm-hmm. types of songs, and it was in another language. I could absolutely see something like that, especially you know about world tensions and all of us mm-hmm. dying in a nuclear war. Which hey, I think we're all <laughs> worried about it again. Uh, you know, thanks to Mr. Putin and everyone else. Um, you know, I could absolutely see something like that. I don't see that particular song necessarily being hit, mm-hmm. although I think it did actually get. I think Nana re-recorded it. She did. Did a live re- and mm-hmm. had a massive hit in Germany. Massive not, hit. Not here, but. And she's re-recorded it in France, right. in French, and that was a huge hit. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, she has done that, and it has become a hit. So, what do you think? Do, it sh- would it, so, should it have been a hit? Yes, I think it should have been a hit. Um, I remember how it was received by people who were listening to it. And, again, that whole, it was a fun song for people to kind of party to, right? Because it was slow, slow. And then, bum, 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 and they got to do that. And, and you know, they, I think the whole, that German rhythm of her singing was kind of cool. Yeah. I think people really liked that because you didn't even know what she, the hell she was saying, right? You could see, you could hear Captain Kirk. Everybody heard the Captain Kirk lyrics. Yeah. Uh, and one thing I will say, you know, listening to this, and you alluded to this earlier, is that despite the fact that we didn't know the lyrics, you don't need to know lyrics to hear a melody. Right. Vocal melody. Right. And and frankly, I think most songs that we are familiar with that are hits in English, you're not really listening so much to the words. I mean, you are, but you're listening to the melody of the words right, and right. the way they're sung. And this was an example where the melody was strong enough that it carried that. And it's sort of an interesting experiment. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, can you know, can the melody carry song? Well, according to this. It, it can. He did. You know, it's, you know, the melody was good enough and was compelling enough to your, to mm-hmm. the listeners here, even in other countries that didn't understand the language, that it transcended that. And I think yeah. that's, that's something to be said for the songwriter and for Nana performing it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, her vocal inflection is going to inform all that, but, but it was probably basically there in the songwriting. Um, and that's an interesting thing that I, I think we probably could have looked at a little bit more only because, uh, it is a it is a compelling melody. It is something you hear it, you know, 
It sticks in your head. It does stick. It's a great hook. It's a good melody. Yeah. And again, I've heard it stripped down, and the melody is just uh, the melody is good. It's a really good melody. Um, it gets a little lost in all that hard driving organ and chug chug guitars, but it's it's a really good melody. And um, w- would it be a hit today? You know, God, I want to say I it would, but I just uh, it, you're right. It is of its time. Yeah. Um, maybe if it were redone. With different instrumentation, it might be, um, but I don't think that there are enough people that would that would hook on to the uh, how it sounds now. Yeah. Um, but if it were redone right under the right circumstances, I think it probably could be a hit. I don't know if you could have that lull in the beginning simply because of the spotification yeah. of how we listen to music. People might hear that and just skip to the next song. You know, <laughs> I, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I think you got to. Get them right away. But anyway, so I don't think it would be a hit as it is today. Um, I think if you redid it with the same melody, I think it could be. So, all right, man, this was fun. Yeah. I really like this song, by the way. Um, I do. I, I always like this song, again, for the melody, and I think it's a fun song to listen to, to bop your head in, you know. And um, Hey, we want to thank everybody for watching. Um, please, you know, continue with those uh, suggestions for songs, and uh, Tim and I will continue to knock these out, man. So for David, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. All right. Hey, if you like what you hear, like and subscribe. It really means a lot, and we would love to have you coming back every week. Thank you.